I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. Bryce Scarlett is a bi-coastal hairstylist who works with some of Hollywood's most elite celebrities. This extroverted Gemini is a San Diego native. I stole that from a bio written about you. Bryce moved to New York City to begin his solo career in both fashion and celebrity hairstyling. Ultimately, he relocated to the West Coast, where he continues to be one of the most in-demand hairstylists for A-listers, including Natalie Portman, Margot Robbie, Lily Aldridge, Haley Bieber, and Brie Larson. Scarlett has collaborated with brands such as Christian Dior, Audemars Piguet, Chanel, and his work can be seen across the pages of Vogue, Vanity Fair, WNV Magazines. Bryce is currently a brand ambassador for Moroccan Oil. He's also one of my closest friends and collaborators. Bryce, welcome to In My Chair. Thank you so much. What bio points out that I'm a Gemini? That's got to get changed immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it was in, I like, I found it. I think it was from Le Fair, Flair or Le oh. Fair. It was like extroverted Gemini. I was like, oh, that's no. really going to get right under his skin. I'm putting it in it. Oh, well, you. welcome back to the podcast, I should say, because when I had this idea back in November, I was like, um, well, Bryce will be my guinea pig and we'll do it together. <laughs> And it turned out so well that we're doing it again. Uh, it, uh, yeah, I was Quinn's first podcast guest, podcast guest, but when we listened to it back, uh, it was just <laughs> Quinn talking for an hour. <laughs> Imagine that. It was so weird. Um, that's okay. We, we put the battery in your back today, and we're ready <laughs> to go. <laughs> so we always disagree on time with everything. I always think it's been shorter, and you're like, no, Quinn, it's been 10 years. So... How we? How long have we known each other, roughly, and when did we meet? We met in, I moved to New York September 2009, and I think we met somewhere in the first six months of 2010, first four months, like winter, for sure. I remember we did a job together, the first time I met you, we did a job together for Fernanda Mota. She was a Brazilian supermodel and yes. she was going to some and event. how dare you act like you remember that because you only remember that because I just told you like a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do, no, actually, I you do. had no idea who we met working on. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that we, I came and you didn't like me because... <laughs> I did not like you, but I, my first memory of you was that you had this like super bright spotlight from like Home Depot that you like clipped on something and I was just blinded by it the whole time we were working. <laughs> Sounds about right. I know. I thought it was so professional. Like I went and got one of the lights they have backstage during the shows. And it was like at the beginning, like when all the celebrity stuff was, and I'm like, you know what? I got a one up. I'm going to bring a light and then just <laughs> blind the person in the back. And then... Christina, I, your friend. And then I repaid you by uh, suggesting you for a short film I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually, like, I'm so glad we did it. It taught me that I yeah. never wanted to do film ever again. And also, like, yeah, so we did this short film with really great people. But it was just like, I remember that they only had one type of catering every day. And it happened to be Mexican food. <laughs> yeah we we shot for like four days it was it was really cool because there was actually a lot of like really interesting legit people involved but um it was extremely low budget and like one restaurant had donated the food or something and it was like really bad like not mexican mexican food 
And uh, the best was that uh, Lauren Santa Domingo was in in the film and she on the last day just was like we're not doing this again and she personally paid to cater for the day <laughs> she's like saint ambrose for anyone everyone i just can't have any more exactly. like so funny god love her for that i know and then we also because we both worked with kate upton like right at the beginning of her career we ended up um i think we became really close when we started traveling all the time together yeah yeah, yeah. i mean we we were already really close by that point, but yes, we then got to experience what it is to travel together. And the I'm first still thing I'm not allowed traveling. back <laughs> at the uh, Mandarin Oriental in Barcelona because of you. So I can thank you for that. <laughs> Quinn is referencing the fact that I, uh, one morning, like very hungover, running to the airport, jumped in the shower and left the faucet running in the sink and flooded a hotel room. <laughs> And got out of the shower. I take very long showers. This is not something I'm proud of. Very Um, long. Especially when I'm hungover. And I got out of the shower and was just like, oh my fucking God. And we were so late. And I was just like, I can't do anything about this. And I just (laughs) ran out the door with my luggage and just prayed that no one like from the production that we were on called me to say like I had to pay $10,000. Like, God, I was so worried. And we... We left, and then, like, three years later, I stayed in that hotel again for work, and I walked in, and when I checked in, I swear to God, I held my breath. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, sir, you have a balance on your card. <laughs> oh, my God. Good time. So, yeah, we've known each other a really long time. This is an interview that is different than any one that I've done because um, we're so close. And, and also... the answer to all the questions. <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, it was just really great to like both be assistants together and both um, struggle together. And like, you'll just never get that back with yeah, anybody no, else. We, we came up together. We we took the punches at the same time <laughs> and celebrated at the same time. <laughs> we both have Sandra Lee stories, so we'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh God, leave it in. I don't care. The best thing was you were like the one thing. <laughs> oh God. I'll just say, I'm not going to tell all the details, but your kit was held hostage over the weekend. And your our agent at the time may or may not have threatened to call page six about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, where are you right now? Um, I am at home, which for me currently is San Diego. Um, I, I have lived primarily in LA for the last three and a half, four years. But um, as soon as pandemic started i moved home to san diego um which has been very interesting and cool and weird and yeah i was gonna say like it it must be nice that you have your like because a lot of your family and friends are there and you have more of a community so that's um i ended up in basically i had bought an investment property in san diego like a year before covid never thinking that i would live in it and then with everything happening, it just kind of made sense. I wanted to renovate it. My sister lived next door. So I came down here and I've been living here for like nine months. Um, and I drive up to LA for work and I'm really liking it for the most part. I do miss LA and I hope to live there again soon, but this has been a really cool experience. Well, I'm still bitter you left New York. I mean, 
I, I got left high and dry. I only had one friend in New York at the time. <laughs> <laughs> now I, I, I've only got zero friends and probably more enemies than friends. <laughs> Do you miss New York at all? Other than um, the you know people? What? I, I've been gone from New York for, I guess, like four years um, coming up on. And I really didn't miss New York at first. When I left, I was like, I always love New York. I lived there for nine years. It was the best decision I ever made. But when I left, I was like very burnt out and very excited to be back in California. Um, and I will say for the first time during COVID, I started to be like, you know what? I do kind of miss New York. Um, I don't know that I'll ever live there again full time, but I, I do miss it and want to spend more time there again. Wow. I'm glad I did the podcast today. I didn't even, I never knew that. (laughs) Um, So you moved to New York originally. You, you had a, like a basic kind of training in a salon, but you moved to New York to do fashion. Is that what you thought you wanted to do? Yeah. I, I spent like three years in LA, one year in school, two years assisting in a salon. Um, And had a great experience doing all of that and loved it. But I, I had always like dreamed of living in New York and I knew that um, I grew up in a salon and I didn't really want that experience. I always, even before I went to hair school, I kind of knew that like that wasn't what I was looking for. Um, So the goal was always to try and be freelance and um, work in fashion. At least at the beginning, I knew that that was, I wanted to get that experience under my belt and train in that way. And I mean, as you no, like it's, it's different now, but back then, like you, if you wanted to do celebrity, you better get the fashion experience in first, because once you started doing celebrity, there was no going back. Right. That was very much how it felt at the time. So I was very much like, I knew I wanted to work with actresses eventually. Like I, I was excited about that, but I, I wanted to get that education. Um, so I moved so to you New York looked at and, it as a, as a way to kind of further your craft, not as a permanent career opportunity. Um, I wouldn't say I had like that clear vision at the time. I, I think at the time I thought maybe I did want to work in fashion mostly. Um, at the, again, like at the time you felt like you had to choose. And it was like, I was like 19 when I moved 20, when I moved to New York. Um, and I, yeah, part of me was like, yeah, I want to work in fashion. Like I, I love it. And I assisted in it for like five years and I did love it. And it, but it became clear to me that I was more enjoying the, the actresses I was getting to work with. And that experience was feeling more right. And then, I mean, like, I know we, I got lucky in the sense that it became, it changed, it changed. Like you didn't have to choose so much anymore. Um, so I, I got to experience some fashion work and some celebrity at the same time. And now it's all kind of such a mismatch. But what do you feel like you get out of working with an actress versus being on a, on a set with a team doing an editorial? Why is that more appealing to you personally? <clears throat> um, I... I think I get really inspired by the individual. Um, and I really, really love, like, I love being part of a person's image overall, not just one night, not just one photo shoot. Like I love the, um, kind of widespread concept of 
how they present themselves to the world. Um, I always, I've always loved red carpet images since I was a little kid. Like I remember being like probably nine years old, looking at like Vanity Fair and just obsessing over party photos and red carpet moments and stuff. And who were the celebrities you were looking at at that time? Um, well, my earliest memory of seeing a celebrity on the red carpet and thinking they looked beautiful and being like excited and inspired by that was, um, Charlize Theron at the Oscars. I want to say, oh God, I don't know what year this would have been like 2002 or something. She was wearing Vera Wang. It was like tangerine colored and she had these diamond winged Mm -hmm. brooches on either side of her, um, straps. Um, it's still, I think one of my favorite red carpet pictures ever. Um, but I vividly remember like thinking like, that's amazing. I want to be part of that. What is the, what is the, cause I know you, so I know that you're super into also the transformative power of not only hair, but makeup and styling and all of it. Where did, do you know where that came from that you, that you like see the potential in someone and that excites you? Hmm. Um, I mean, I think there's kind of two answers to that. I think there's like, there's the part of me that just loves the beauty. I I love beautiful things and beautiful people. And I, I love beautiful images and that's just kind of always been in me. Um, my mom definitely inspired some of that. My, my mom's whole family kind of had a Hollywood background and worked in creative fields and whatnot. So I think there was some of that in me. Um, but I also really like, I think as I, I've told you this before, like growing up, like being a little kid, I was very made fun of. I was a very quiet, awkward gay kid. And as I kind of like hit puberty and got through junior high, I, just kind of like started to realize that like I could do some things to make people treat me differently and I could behave differently. And I think that set me on a long journey of unfortunately kind of like, you know, disguising who you are a bit to please people, um, which I've (laughs) spent years in therapy and grown out of at this point, I hope. Um, But anyway, the point of that is I think I, it set me on this path of like realizing that like I could help people protect themselves. Mm. Um, and in doing in, in like shallow ways, I mean, I should, I don't want to diminish what we do by saying shallow, but in very surfacey ways, I, I just got very good at looking at something and being like, mm, I think this is something someone might perceive the wrong way. Or I think this is something that someone might judge about you or, and it made me, yeah, it just manifested itself in a way that like the way I kind of care for people is help them be perceived the way they want to be perceived. Was that the role that you took growing up then with people in your life? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I understood it back then, but yeah, it was very natural to me to just be like kind of to care for people in that way. Does that kind of like, is that kind of like this, the ink in the, in what did they say? The ink in the well, where it's like you are doing something you love that you're passionate about, but at the end of it there, it's coming from a place of not wanting to be hurt, them to be hurt or fear. 
Is that always kind of a part of what you do? Hmm. I mean, I think, I think so like lightheartedly about what I do now. Um, I don't, there's no fear in it. I mean, listen, we all know there's scary parts of our career right. when you're waiting for that Getty image to load. But um, no, I just, I think it's at this point, like I'm lucky. I work with some incredible women that I have so much respect for and have really like loving relationships with. And so I do genuinely care about their well being. Um, so I think that also it's just kind of where it's landed. That's kind of what inspires me. Um, because you're the hairstylist and that's kind of one part of the puzzle, right? Where there's hair, there's makeup, there's styling, there's, you know, everything else that's going into this kind of image. How do you kind of stay in your lane with hair, but also like influence the, the whole look and how does that look the, the collaborative part of the entire image? Um, I, I mean, one of the other reasons I love doing celebrity is I love the collaboration of the team. I have so much respect for the stylists and the makeup artists that I work with. And I, I mean, <laughs> for the actresses that I spend the most time with, like Brie and Margot, um, I'm so close with our teams and we have such a great working relationship and like, we're all so collaborative and supportive of each other. Um, but so I, I respect their work so much that I am usually excited to see what they're doing and their, and I love getting their input on my work. And, but I'll say like in other scenarios where it's someone I don't know so well, or, um, and I'm not so involved. I oftentimes like, you know, sometimes you, you're working with an actress and you get a dress and you're like, Ooh, that's hard. Like I don't <laughs> yeah. really get the vision there, but that all the more puts me in a place of like, well, I kind of personally think this dress, they're going to get picked on a bit for this. Like that puts me even more in a place of like, what can I do to help? Like, because the dress accentuates here and that I think that the hair should be small to balance it. Or I think that she needs volume to soften that or, um, and that happens a lot, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, so often, you know, like, especially actresses with fashion contracts and whatnot, like the girls aren't always in charge of what they're wearing. Like there are a lot of scenarios where like there's a dress they have to wear and that it just is what it is. And maybe everyone involved is like, this isn't the dress we would have picked, but we're all going to come together and make it work. Yeah. And I, I would say also hearing what you're saying about like looking at the dress and looking at the woman and, I'm often surprised at your knowledge of makeup. I'd like to think I have a little piece to do with that, but you actually know about styling, you know about makeup, you know about a lot of different aspects. How much of, of that informs the work that you do? Um, you absolutely have a lot to do with my knowledge of makeup. Um, I, it all, I mean, I think the reason I, I have spent time trying to be knowledgeable about hair and make or about makeup and jewelry and styling. And I, I love all of it from an outsider's perspective. And it also has a huge impact on what I do. Like, I like to think that because I understand makeup decently well, if a makeup artist explains a look to me, I don't need a bunch of visuals. I can be like, okay, like I, I know what that means. I get that. So I know what hair I want to do to balance that. Um, 
or vice versa. If a stylist describes a shoe but doesn't happen happen to have it handy, like I, I'm pretty good at visualizing that, you know. Has it made you a better hairstylist to know more about the other the other uh, professions that we work with? Um, I don't think it's made me a technically better hairdresser, but I think that it helps me have better taste, or I, I think it helps me make more informed decisions. Okay, so this is something that you and I talk about a lot. Is what is if you're kind of thinking of the ratio, the pie ratio? How much of it is just like your technical ability? You know how to do finger waves. I mean, that's old fashioned, but you know what I mean. Like you can do the hair that you could do, or how much of it is taste level, knowledge of fashion, and everything else that kind of seems like a softer skill. But like when you're working, what's the ratio there? Um, I think it's different in everybody. I think you will come across hairstylists who are 70% technique and 30% vision. And I think you'll come across hairstylists who are 70% vision and 30% technique. And I think that they all work. Um, It depends on the outcome you're looking for, the client. Um, And there's somebody for everybody. But I, I personally, I think I'm stronger in my vision than I am in my technique, if I'm being honest. If you were a woman, a celebrity, and had the choice between hairstylist A who had really strong technique or st- hairstylist B who has really chic and an am- amazing vision, who would you rather have work on you? I mean, I, I personally would rather have the person with the vision because at the end of the day, if the hairstyle they chose was the right hairstyle, but maybe only like... as good as it could have been as opposed to the hairstyle they chose was the wrong hairstyle, but it was perfect. I'd rather have the right hairstyle and have it be slightly off. What is your approach? Like kind of when you start working with a woman, I I feel like you size them up and not only in terms of like their neck and their shoulders or their hairline, but also, you know, what bag they have, who they are, how they walk in. Like, what is your process of saying what's going to be flattering on the woman who you work with? I mean, I look at a lot of pictures when I, if I'm going to work with someone for the first time, I'll spend a lot of time going through Getty images, every picture they've ever taken. Like I'll usually roll in with pictures that I may or may not show them, but I'll have like five or six images that are what I think are them at their absolute best they've ever looked. And I'll probably have like three or four images of like, this is where things went really wrong in my opinion. And And not show them that. (laughs) Usually not. Um, It depends on the person. Some people are like super down to have those conversations and it really helps you understand. Um, But that kind of gives me a baseline of like, okay, like I've, seen a lot of pictures of you with big hair and I actually think it isn't flattering on you. I wouldn't have this frank of a conversation obviously, but um, I may be like, you know what? I actually think you look your strongest when you're quite sleek and the hair is quite minimal or vice versa. Um, I think that's where it starts. And then, I mean, when you're working with someone for the first time, it's always just like the first time's a little trial and error. You're sometimes it, goes amazing right off the bat, but it usually takes a couple times of getting to know someone, seeing how they carry themselves, what they like, what they don't like, how they photograph. Um, how do you walk into a room with a new client and 
let them know that you know what you're doing or or in some way verbally or non-verbally that they can trust that you know what you're doing with them i'm more concerned about someone being comfortable at first than i'm i don't walk into a room and think like oh like what do i have to do to make sure that like you know i'm good at my job i more walk into a room and think like how do i behave to make sure you know that like I'm on your side. I mm. want you to look great and feel great. And how do I make you comfortable right away? And if somebody wants you to do something that you don't think is chic or elegant, or there's not really a lot redeeming about it, will you do it? Um, yes, I will. I will always try and find a way to get a little bit of my vision in as well. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, if someone's just, if you walk in and someone's like, I want a high pony, super tight. And I want extensions down to my butt. You, it it may not be what I want to do, but if they're that clear in their vision and I can tell they don't want to talk about it, it just is what it is. And I'm going to give that person what they want. And I may not be so inclined to work with them in the future. Right. When you're on a job and even if you're with a team that you've worked with, many times and you guys have many hits sometimes it's just not great and the getty image comes out and it's a bummer why what do you think what if you can look back and learn from it what do you think happens when 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 it's not a hit um it's just i mean sometimes it's just luck of the draw you just something you think works then you get it out there and the lighting isn't at all what you expected and um you try and learn from it. Yeah. I, anytime I'm not like a hundred percent happy with my work, I'm looking at it and figuring out exactly why I'm not happy. Um, and I mean, as you know, oftentimes it's because it's really bad lighting, <laughs> right? but, um, or not enough time. Yeah. Or exactly. Like having to get someone ready in 30 minutes and which happens so often. And that's just a part of our job that like you have to learn to accept because it's we're constantly put in scenarios where we do not have anywhere near the time we need and anywhere near the space we need to work in the light we need to see like we're in a moving vehicle like it's it's just part of the job and then you put these images out into the world and people judge them and like harshly sometimes and it sucks someone can be like oh the hair looks horrible and you're like well had you known that I did it with a toothbrush and a moving car, <laughs> yeah. you might be slightly kinder, but you can't tell them that. So you just have to accept that sometimes like you're not going to win them all. Has your hair gotten more bulletproof because you do more and more red carpets now? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's something I've definitely like learned over the years is how to, how, how, I mean, especially cause I do pretty soft hair. Like I'm, I like, natural textures and things that look kind of undone and that's a real fine line of trying to make someone look really effortless and easy but knowing that you've put enough foundation underneath it to like make it last yeah so how have you been so successful in an era where that kind of hair at least in terms of i would say instagram traffic and numbers and things is not really at the top of the totem pole right like I think you would be more likely to work if you did. I mean, you work all the time and there's no 
I mean, you work as many days as you want to, but I'm just saying that you're in it. We're in an era where if you do a snatch or something really obvious, that's going to get more attention. How have you managed to not fall into that? Well, it's not hard for me to not fall into that because it just doesn't speak to me. Um, It's everyone's got their aesthetic. I think that like I started becoming more and more comfortable um, at work when I started to realize and accept that like, I had an aesthetic. There's some, there's a wheelhouse that I think I do my best work in. And, um, I'm totally comfortable with that. Um, and the people I work with want that kind of look and it, it all makes sense and it works. And I'm, it's nice to like post something on Instagram and have people have a strong reaction, but like, you know what? A lot of things I post people don't really care about. Cause it's just not it. Like you said, it's not a, turquoise lace front with 17 other lace fronts <laughs> sewn to the back of it like and listen i'm not trying to throw shade at that there's there's beauty in that too and it's amazing it takes it's a just, skill yeah it's just not what i do and it's different and i think that the fact that that exists and there's people who are amazing at that make it all the more cool that what i do exists and i'm good at what i do right i wanted to talk to you about when so you're you're coming along. You lived in New York. Did you ever feel like, oh, I'm at a I'm at another level now? I've not made it, or I'm I don't need to do this type of job anymore. Just when you felt elevated from the place that you had been before. I think there was m- multiple different times where I felt like, oh, like this feels a little different now. I don't know if I've ever felt like there's always room to grow. <laughs> I'm pretty hard on myself and I'm always looking for ways to improve and achieve new things. But I had multiple breaks. I mean, starting from like Lily Aldridge was both of our, one of our first clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I met Lily when I was 22, I think because of Tracy Cunningham, Lily did so much for me and continues to, um, Carolina Kirkova after that did so much for me. I met her and did that TV show, the face with her for a season, which was oh yeah, a really intense experience. And then we worked together for years after. And she taught me so much being like a model who had been seen so many ways and was wanting to change her look so often and everything. Um, uh, Kate Upton, happening that was a big change for both of us yeah um kate did so much for us career-wise absolutely well she Um, was kind of the first person who we worked with who was like um at least the first person that was like on fire in a way that was like paparazzi following you down the street and like it was like on another level where everything was really being watched and noticed yeah she was um she had all eyes on her for the time there for sure. Um, and then Gigi Hadid, definitely like working with Gigi absolutely got me opportunities that I had never had. Um, and really, really got my career moving. And then I would say after Gigi, Natalie Portman was the Mm -hmm. first like, uh, big name actress that I got the opportunity to work with. And how did you get in the door with her? Um, she was going to Cannes 
for the festival and um, her hairstylist she'd been working with couldn't go and they needed someone to go pretty last minute. And there was very little money. She was doing an independent film that she directed. And I got on a short list of names and somehow they picked me and I had never met her. And I flew to Cannes and spent like nine days with her and she was wonderful and it went really well. And I still work with her today. Um, and she did so much for me. Like, and also I, I feel like you did such a good job with her that that ended up getting you other really big clients. Yeah. I think, I think my work with Natalie definitely helped me get, it put me in the eyes of like different publicists and stuff. Um, and Natalie was my first real award season um, for Jackie. And then working with Patty DeBroff and Kate Young, that was like, that year was very, very exciting. And really, that truly made me feel like I had achieved something, like things were happening. And then did you just go up and up from there? Was it just like... I mean, <laughs> um, Margot was I started working Margot like the year after that. And that again was felt like something, I mean, she's just such a incredible person to be able to work with in every facet possible. Um, you have one of the nicest clientele in the industry. I've worked with on and off with uh, most of these people and some not, but like, these are like the people you go, wow, they have it all. They're beautiful. They're nice. They're kind. They're talented. Yeah. It's kind of fucked up, you know. I want no. I I am so lucky. I mean, Natalie, Margot, Bree, they are all extremely um, kind, easy people to be around, and amongst every other nice thing you could say about them. Um, I people always like you know. Anytime you meet someone who works in a completely different industry than us, and like catches wind that you work with a celebrity, they always want to know who's who's, who's awful, like who's oh. mean. <laughs> And I'm always just like, I honestly have been so lucky. Like I, of course have had some bad experiences, but like not that many. And the people who treat you bad, you wouldn't even know who they are. (laughs) I know. Isn't that the worst? The really famous people like these days, like you just don't make it that far if you're not kind. Yeah. People don't tolerate that type of behavior, but there are a few rotten ones left and everybody (laughs) knows it. Yeah. Um, Also something that, I think um, this was kind of the opposite of you going through all of the success and everything was going so well is that you had some uh, personal setbacks with your mom. Was it hard to deal with the fact that you worked so hard for so many years and now you're at this level and then something also your mom being sick was like the opposite of that feeling? when you do podcasts with people who know you too well, you get the hard hitting questions, folks. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my mom got cancer in 2000 and 2015, um, and passed away in 2017. Um, but the, the last like four months, five months she was alive. I had to basically stop working entirely. Um, and go home. And that was a major, I mean, it was a horrible experience in almost every way. 
Um, I do think it kind of prepared me for what we're dealing with now. Really? Because it, I was working, I was, I was very busy and things were happening and I was really excited and I had to just stop and I had to say no to a lot of things. And that in our industry is very scary. Um, but I think some of that was good for me. I think it showed me that like, you can say no and take time to do what you need to do in your personal life and trust that there will be something on the other side. And when you, and when COVID started and everything kind of slowed down for you again, did that bring, did that remind you of what you had gone through? Um, it just felt a little similar in the sense of like, okay, I kind of know what it is to stop all of a sudden. Um, it obviously, I mean, for me personally was a far less scary experience. Um, and it's obviously knowing that everyone has had to stop at the same time as you is a lot easier to deal with than being like, well, everyone's chugging forward and I have to pause right now because our industry is competitive. (laughs) What did it feel like after your mom had passed going back to work? Were you, did you need time to just not work? Did you throw yourself into it? Um, I definitely threw myself into work. I, um, I started a major press tour, like I think six days after the funeral. Um, I wanted to, I was, it was with Natalie and she was so wonderful about it. I, I remember the first day I went back, um, it was, it was like a short day and, um, it went totally well and everything, but I, she wrote me a text after I left. That was so kind. She just said, like, I just want to be very clear with you. If you do not want to be here right now, you will have a job to come back to when you are ready, which I will forever be grateful for her saying that I, I didn't need it. I, my response was, this is where I want to be. Like, I, mm-hmm. I want the distraction, but I will always love her for saying that do you feel like because you threw yourself into work that you were stuffing some of your feelings i'm sure i mean at the time that wasn't so at the forefront of my mind i basically dove into that which then turned into margo's i tanya year and i basically for a year just worked almost every day and and loved it a lot of it like i I had so many career highlights in that year and it was so exciting. Um, but I was definitely, I think running from something a bit. And when all of that ended, I, I remember right after Oscars, we went to Australia for like 48 hours. (laughs) And I remember coming back from that flight and just being like destroyed. I was like super sick and just so run down. And I called my agent at the time and said like, I need to, I need to take a step back. It was summer was coming and I was just kind of like, I've got to say no to some things. I've got to stay in one place for a couple weeks at a time here. Um, and I did, and I really like didn't work a lot that summer. And I had, it was my first summer living back in LA and I had such a good time and I really reset and was really excited to work when the fall came. And I'm, that was a big, that was a big moment for me because it showed me that like, it's okay to prioritize yourself sometimes too. Mm -hmm. I work isn't everything. And I don't want to wake up at 70 years old (laughs) 
alone with a lot of great covers on my coffee table. (laughs) So after slowing down and realizing that you could take time for yourself, did it change the way you thought about what you could get out of your career in terms of your life? Um, Yeah. I mean, I've always been really career driven and passionate about what we do. And I would say up until that point, I was like super fulfilled by work. Like I had a personal life and whatnot, but it wasn't at the forefront. Like I was just so excited about work and like achieving things. Um, And I think that taking that break was the first time that I kind of started to be like, you know what? Like I'm going to need some other things in life. Like I can't just have this. Um, And that was great. It really like helped me start to find balance. And I mean, that's something I think we all will work at our entire lives, but I feel, I feel I live a much more balanced life today than I did. Are you better at saying no? Yeah, absolutely. What about in your, has it changed anything about um, your personal life? Having, you know, you're lost your mom and realizing that, um, you know, just having that loss, did it change anything about, about you and your personal life? Um, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think that, I think that I actually had a lot of family members die through like a six year period. Um, my mom being kind of the last one and yeah, 100%. It made me realize that there's so much more to life than work. And I want to have a family and I want to spend more time with my family that I already have. And um, all of that started to become more at the forefront of my life. I remember that time we were in Pasadena for the upfronts and we was like San Marino or something so beautiful. And you were like, isn't this great? Don't you just want to be out here? And I was like, no, <laughs> but you have always been very clear that that is something that you want, that you do want to have that family and home life. And I just, I mean, our work is really exciting and I want to do a lot more of it still, but I think I'll also be really excited to have a slower life at some point. I mean, listen, I have a pretty slow life right now and I'm not mad at it. <laughs> Um, I feel like you have a lot of qualities that I don't have and um, a lot of insight to things that I don't have. And I actually lean on you a lot. I'll often call you and say, should I be doing this job? Like, what do you think of this? Like things about Instagram, even things about the podcast. I think that you are really good at seeing um, things that will be successful and or popular and, your instincts about Instagram and your instincts about where the industry is going. How do you feel that about yourself? <laughs> I don't think my Instagram instincts are good at all. Oh, so they are. To hear that. You were on there before me. You were already like putting things up in a way that was really dynamic. You curate your Instagram in a very chic and kind of um, way that's true to yourself, but it's still popular. I think you have a I think you have an ability to be really true to yourself and your vision and also have an awareness at the same time of what is the trend and what is popular. 
I, to an extent, agree. I mean, I, I, I agree that I am pretty good at being true to myself. I know, um, I know what I like. I know what I want. I know how I feel. Um, I don't question myself a lot in that area. And I do think that I'm decently good at looking around and being like, okay, I can tell what people are responding to. I can tell that like that person's doing this this way and it's really working. And I try to like adapt to what's happening as well while staying true to myself. Um, I don't know. I You, you also like, if you were to tell me Quinn, you got to work with her, she's going to be huge. I would listen to you. Yeah. I mean, we're, I would say the same thing about you that you said about me. Like we are very different and I call you for all the reasons that you call me. Like, um, but yes, I'm, you don't know who anyone is. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, I don't know who anyone is, but also even dealing with things I've asked you about, um, you know, guests for po- upcoming podcasts and things. And you've had opinions about it that I thought, you know what, you're right. Like I should go in that direction. I should use this like, you know, go after that in ways that I couldn't see. I've really learned to, I think that we all have people in our lives who are experts or good at things that we're not. And for me, you definitely are someone that I can lean to, to kind of um, navigate pop culture, but in a way that's not, um, that doesn't feel demeaning. (laughs) Um, Thank you. You know, you agree. I mean, I, I'm very observant. I have always like, I will walk into a room full of people and like, I can scan faces faster than anybody. I will know everyone who's in the room, if I've met them before or not, if I've seen them before, what they do, like not just in a sense of like, I think it's kind of important in our industry to know, you know, it's, it goes back to like knowing how to carry yourself on set or in a room with an actress you've never met before. Like, I just always got very good at like picking up on the vibe quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, can tell like, okay, that person is clearly like her manager or agent and they're clearly not very friendly. And I need to stay away <laughs> from them. And <laughs> that person is her assistant and she seems super nice. And I'm going to be really nice to her because she's probably going to help me the most. And like that kind of thing. So how, how thoughtful are you in terms of your career? Cause it's hard. Um, we are a business. Like as much as yeah. it feels like this is me and I'm an artist at the end of the day, we have agents, we have a 1099. It is a business. And the, I found the, the more I can take out the kind of um, making it personal and just thinking of it like that. I think you're actually good at that. How, um, how, how do you navigate thinking about your career? I'm definitely like, I'm calculated about it. I have a vision for myself. I, I say no to a lot of things that I don't think I'm right for or are right for me. Um, I think because I very much how I said, I've always been excited to be part of someone's overall image. I also am conscious of how my work is perceived and I just kind of want everything to make sense. You know, I, I want someone to look at a job and be like, yeah, like I can see, why he took that and him working with that person and that person like makes sense. And who is that someone in your mind? Cause we all have the person when we post something that we're like, 
so-and-so, even if it's not a real person, is going to see this and think. Like, who is oh, your yeah. person that you're – or a kind of your judge? Who who are you thinking of when you put it up? Our peers. Absolutely. Not the more people who I, might hire you. I mean, that too, of course, but more so our peers. I've always been very just like – I admire so many people in our industry and – there's so many people who are so talented and I, yeah, I just always wanted to feel like I belonged and like people didn't think I was a hack. <laughs> Is it important for you to be the best? No, not at all. I want to be one of the best. I'd like to be considered. I remember like probably three or four years ago hearing a publicist basically say that they were, they listed out a list of hairdressers that they were considering for something. And I was on the list and the names that she mentioned with my name, honestly, that might be the first time I felt like, whoa, like I think I've done something because the names that I was associated with were the people I admired and respected and had like inspired me to come to this place. Do you remember Um, who they were? It was, it was definitely like, Adir and Renato and Mara and Jenny Cho, Mark Townsend, something like that. Yeah, all the like big heavy hitters in what we do. Yeah, exactly. Just the people that I always was like, oh, if I could be as good as one of them. Is it hard when you're on set? Like, you know, those big junket days we do and sometimes everyone's getting ready or everyone's like in the same studio. Is it hard when you're around someone you idolize so much or look up to and then they're going to see your work? Oh yeah, that's way that's scarier than like any actress or photographer <laughs> or stylist or anything. Of course, don't you feel the same? Oh yeah, that that is the ultimate thing. Is like the lip better be perfect because she's gonna walk around and everybody's gonna have like you know zoom lenses on her, and you just want to look like oh yeah, he is good. You want everyone to think that. Yeah, of course. Um, you've always kind of jokingly said to me that you could, you know, learn to love, you know, anyone if you spend enough time with them. Um, And I've seen you like be around people who you may have thought that you weren't going to get along with. And then by the end of the day or the end of the tour, you're like, you know what? I actually really like them. So I've seen it happen. What is it about your personality that you can kind of learn to uh, at least appreciate anyone? I... I think that's a really <clears throat> nice thing. Thank you to have someone think that. Um, I have always been good at finding a connection with someone. I don't know why, even as like a young kid. Um, I just think there's, everybody's got something in them that's um, exceptional and different. And um, I don't know. Yeah. I think I'm pretty good at like finding a common ground with a person too um we're gonna probably end up cutting this part out but i'm just gonna ask you so don't get pissed you are so funny you your take on people and stories and things like i will give you the floor for at dinner and you start in on a story even me who interrupts everyone and like loves to make people laugh like you're so good at it why aren't you comfortable being that way on social media um i am way too self-conscious if i'm being honest i'm only funny when i'm comfortable 
and I, yeah, I don't know. Social media has always just been like, I've never felt that kind of comfort. I'm not, I'm also like, I'm not funny when I have to plan it out and think about it. I think I'm, if I'm funny, when and am I, when and if I'm funny, it's like very spur of the moment. Like it's very natural. I've never been good at like, oh, this is funny and I'm going to do this this way and then like film it. But funny might be the wrong word, but if you and I walk into a room with people, you are comfortable. You're very out, like you're pretty outgoing and and meet people in a way that's like at ease. Mm -hmm. That's how you carry yourself. So I I just wonder why um, you don't carry that with you in a, in a more public arena. I don't know. It's never come naturally to me. I mean, even like when I started doing um, stuff with Moroccan oil a couple years ago, like, I will always be so grateful to them for giving me the chance because I had no on-camera experience at all. And I was not comfortable. And I, um, and they knew it and they were really kind with me and worked with me to like get better at it. Um, and I am much better today than I was. I did media training and I've had a couple years of experience now. And I do, um, I do find it, fun now a little I, I i found my way to find the joy in it um but i don't know when it came to when it comes to social media it's so like clearly like all coming from me about me like i that's just always been like a little too much pressure <laughs> right but then you you did so you and nina park had this kind of great idea to do adjoining rooms and you voluntarily were on camera for that. How did you feel when it would, when you were doing that? That was easy because I loved what we were talking about. As you know, like that kind of conversation has always been like my thrive zone. Could be endless. Um, yes. I could talk about a look for eight hours until someone needs to like drug me and put me to bed. <laughs> and wake uh, up and still talk about that look. Uh-huh. Um. So from that point of view, like, I think I felt confident in the subject matter. So um, I was excited to do it. And I, at that point also, like this was only last year and I've, I've gotten far more comfortable on camera. But again, I was doing that with Nina and like, I didn't feel like, I've never been good at the one man show, I guess. Like I, I, turning my phone on and talking to the camera about my day, just, I just am always like, who would care? <laughs> Um, I know you so well, and I'm like, Bryce, just, you know, you're the only person in your own way. You can be really great on camera and social media and everything if you just allowed yourself to. What What is it? Uh, I feel like you don't give a whole side of yourself in a public way. Why do you hold back that side of yourself? Um, I'm... I'm definitely like innately private. I always have been. Um, it's different with like adjoining rooms or Moroccan oil press like that. There's a platform that I am going on and there's a, a there's framework to it and a subject. And that really like makes sense. But like putting myself out there, I think solely by myself takes a lot out of me. I think that I'm extremely critical on myself and that is exhausting. So 
I think I, I oftentimes just am like, it's not where I want to put my energy. Mm-hmm. And where does the extreme criticism, like, where is that coming from for you? If you could pinpoint it. Hmm. I don't know. I've always been kind of hard on myself. I mean, as I said earlier, like I was, you know, I'm sure you feel the same. Like you grow up a, a gay kid who's shy and ostracized. Like, yeah, you're obviously going to look at yourself and be like, well, people don't like me. So something's wrong. And luckily as an adult, like I've been able to figure out that that's not true and grown out of that, but I'm sure that I still have some of that in me. Do you think too, that some of that, cause I, I can say this about myself, that some of that really critical, dark, like voice, it also makes you super, um, able to critique and a better artist and, you know, maybe a little chicer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do think, yeah, it's kind of I fucked up. Think, yeah, no, I agree. It is kind of a weird, um, it's a weird way to think about it, but yeah, I, trying to be like cool and chic and everything is so like kind of exhausting in itself, but it is like, I guess you're people who I'm not considering myself cool or chic, but I think someone who, I think people who we look at and like, Oh, like they're so cool and have such a vision and style for themselves. Like those people are probably even harder on themselves than I am. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You're not, uh, I don't know if that's coming so, so easily to many people. I think that, I mean, some people maybe, but I think a lot of people, yeah, are really hard on themselves and, um, sometimes are rewarded for being so hard on themselves by being perceived as cool and chic. And that's kind of a weird, exhausting cycle that we're all in, in fashion and beauty. I agree. I mean, I've never gone on a diet or decided to work out because I was feeling so great about my body. Yeah, no, of course. It comes from a deep, dark, and even I'll joke like, oh, I don't hate myself enough right now, but I'm getting there. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that comes at a price, right? Yeah. I think that there's a lot of responsibility in working in beauty and fashion and making sure that people don't... um, I mean representation making sure people see themselves out there and making sure that people don't see images that are constantly just making them feel like they're not enough um and i think that that's something that is improving every year it's getting better but i think there's still a long road to go where do you speaking of roads to go where do you see yourself in 10 years (laughs) pregnant Uh, i don't know i yeah i mean i I hope to have kids. I hope to have a family. Um, I'd like to still be working. I don't want to, I don't ever want to not do what we do. I would like to do it less <laughs> mm-hmm. eventually. Is that possible? I think so. I think, I think the dream is that you get like two or three clients at most that are just people you love and they work enough and you kind of can slow down. That's the, the hope. What do you think the biggest misconception is about you? Do you think about what people think about you? Is that an important part? 
Uh, Is that an important factor for you? Yes, of course. I mean, don't we all? (laughs) Am I alone in that? I Um, mean, I'd never have. I just woke up just not caring. No, of course. (laughs) I mean, you definitely care less than most people. I will say that. Um, I, yeah, of course. I, I mean. What would you hope that people think about you? I mean, it depends on the people you're talking about. Like, what do I hope my family thinks of me? Or what do I hope our peers think of me? Or what do I hope my clients think of me? Okay, those three. Family, peers, and client. Um, I hope my family thinks that I put them first. I hope my peers think that I belong. I hope my clients think that I'm valuable to them and that I respect them. I love that. Um, I wanted to wrap up with a final question that I ask everyone and it's always asked in a slightly different way. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If you were able to go back in time, where would you meet yourself and what would you say? Hmm. I mean, I'd love to pick five different times, <laughs> but um, I think I'd probably go back to being like 13, just like, just realizing I was being, or just realizing I was gay, just realizing my parents were divorcing. Um, that was a shitty year. And I think that I would probably just reassure myself that things would be okay, you know? tell myself to be a little kinder to myself. Do you think that coming from divorce, being a child of divorce, how does that affect you as an adult who um, is in relationships and, or going to be in a family? Is that, does that create a narrative for you? Um, I mean, God, is this a whole nother podcast? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, I definitely did not have a lot of examples of a happy marriage around me as a kid. Like literally every, every family member on every side was divorced. Um, so I think it made me pretty hypercritical of relationships of my relationships. Um, I think that it definitely set me up to be scared of that. I I wouldn't want to go through that because I watched so many people. Um, That's interesting because I always find that you're quite optimistic about um, relationships. You don't seem like, you know, it doesn't any way you don't wear it on your sleeve. I mean, optimistic, yes, but also, like, it. I think I've always been very, um, I don't want to waste time. I'm always very, like, overly critical of everything and wanting to really make sure I see everything clearly as fast as possible so that if it's not right, it's not a f- big failure because it wasn't that long, you know? Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so I'm going to play a little game. I'm going to ask you uh, about your favorite things about the new city that you live in. 
and uh, <laughs> left me for. Okay, best shopping in LA for clothes, like for guys' clothes. I, I mean, I usually shop at Ron Herman on Melrose and Barney's. Rest in peace. <laughs> um, I, these days, yeah, almost everything I wear is from Ron Herman. Best flowers. Um. Oh gosh, where are the best flowers in LA? In New York, it's VSF from the West Village. That was always my favorite. Um, so good. I don't have a favorite floral shop in LA yet. Okay. Um, well, you always go to the the yeah, flower I, market. I love flowers, and I go to the flower market downtown and do stuff myself. Yes. Let's open this up to the whole world, actually. Okay. okay? We're going to open this up. Best shopping. Uh, London. I think for men's clothes, I always love shopping in London. The best. Best flowers? I'm Paris. Yeah. Best beach? Um, Tie between Cardiff by the Sea, my hometown, and Hanalei Bay in Kauai. Mm. Okay, best salad? Um... (laughs) Oh gosh, I love the Scala chop salad. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Best hotel? I would say my favorite hotel is a very tiny hotel in Italy um, uh, on the Amalfi Coast called La Scolio. I have gone there every summer, with the exception of last, for like five years. Wow. Quinn has been there as well. It's my favorite. Katie Lee got married there. If people want to see yes. the pictures on Vogue. It is the yes. best place. Katie it's almost not even a hotel. There. It's like, yeah, a, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic restaurant and they have a very small hotel attached. Um, best airport. Oh God, I hate them all. <laughs> oh, I miss every destination, but God, do I not miss being on a plane? Um, Charles de Gaulle. No, uh, Heathrow. Heathrow. Oh, yeah. Best meal? Best meal. I'm obsessed with sushi. So I would say, like, just being in Tokyo in general, like, being able to eat sushi in Tokyo is my favorite thing. <laughs> Did you ever go to the fish market in the morning? No, I've never done it. I know. It wasn't open when I was there. I'm dying to do that. I Although I don't really want that early. <laughs> sashimi at 5 a.m. I don't know if I'm that into that. Um, I could do it. I could do it. Best city to be in for 48 hours. Um, if you only get 48 hours. Honestly, maybe Tokyo. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a, it's a, it's a fun, fast city. Like you could like really have a great time in 48 hours and be tired and ready to go. <laughs> Best facial. And you are someone to ask about that. um i have been going for the last two years to obaji in beverly hills to a woman named ninka and i love her um but yes i love i love skincare best home furnishing store uh guard in la oh i thought you were gonna say home depot (laughs) (laughs) i have spent a lot of time in home depot this year unfortunately but um, i've spent a lot of time on hold uh, with home depot over the last six months um i'm so sorry 
best hike? Um, Torrey Pines um, here in San Diego. It's my favorite. Better than Bamboo Forest? Okay, you're right. Well, there's that too. Quinn and I did a pretty epic hike in Maui many years ago that was called the Bamboo Forest, and it was absolutely incredible, but we nearly died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so remember the last stretch of it where you had to swim through like a river and then climb <laughs> a rock and then get to the waterfall? And yeah. and I just remember there was a girl in another group who was like had all her cr- her friends like camera equipment and everything above yeah. her head. I was like, Bryce, if she can tread water with like all that equipment, yeah. your ass is swimming across this. <laughs> <laughs> and the last is what was your best buy? Best purchase? Oh gosh. Um my dog? <laughs> Ziggy. Aww, so cute. Yeah, I got very lucky. He is very, very well-behaved and such a good boy. I thought you were going to say like a Saint Laurent jacket, but, you know, you learn something (laughs) new every day. I mean, yes. All right, Bryce. Well, I have never not seen you in so long. It's really weird. Like, I I feel like um, I can't wait to get vaccinated and come to see you and come see my family. And you just need um, to move to California already. Okay. I know. I, I, everyone, everyone listening to this, feel free to apply pressure. <laughs> I love LA. I don't think that I could deal with the day off where there's nothing to do. I think I would get like, uh, you know, you um, just start hiking Quinn. Oh yeah. <laughs> with my shirt off. That would go really well. Um, All right. Well, thank you for doing this um, again, second time. And um, I'm sure I will talk to you tonight. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.